This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, a mysterious age that all the gurus are talking about. Alien intelligence watches us constantly. They go back to very, very ancient occult traditions. The sound can only be described as otherworldly. He claims Dr. Frankenstein's monster returns every 100 years. And we are, as a people, opposed to secret societies. And not all aliens are benevolent. At Dimension Zero Hour. W-E-T-L Exclusive. Alert Americans will heed history's lessons. Throughout history, surprise has had a leading role in military disasters. Today, an enemy capable of surprise air attack could leave chaos in his wake. That's why you should be in the Civilian Ground Observer Corps, volunteering a few hours a week to guard our skies. Be a ground observer. Contact your local civilian defense office and join immediately. The President's address to the nation from his office in the White House, January 17, 1961. Good evening, my fellow Americans. This evening, I come to you with a message of leave-taking and farewell, and to share a few final thoughts with you, my countrymen. We now stand ten years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Three of these involved our own country. Despite these holocausts, America is today the strongest, the most influential, and most productive nation in the world. Understandably proud of this preeminence, we yet realize we face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. Unhappily, the danger it poses promises to be of indefinite duration. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. In the same fashion, the free university historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research. Partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. 
the prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever present and is gravely to be regarded. We must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. They build coins in the fortune fountain Searching for a place in the mountain Where the sexless virgins could moan Watched by clergymen with faces of stone Under the law of human absurdity When the crying women of Jerusalem are empty of tears When the bloodthirsty hunters killing their bears To satisfy their hunger for blood To make the world know that everything good be better for human absurdity Noblemen die in white wigs When undertakers refuse to dig And when cocksure heroes massacre Innocent, curious people who underrate The power of human absurdity To the witch Saying go and show them our charity Let the saints praise our activity Things are not right in the land of human absurdity. The tyrants of business in Wall Street will moan of the southern heat when they try to swindle the insane one who realizes that he has the game won. Game of human absurdity. Prisons are filled with blockheads who ambitious prep to bed to experience their wrong imagination that nobody can find compensation. Highway, gloomy smile. 
smuggler boats on the seaway And the sinister drug shark in streets of the town Murderous thieves, hypocrites, they're all falling down To the bottom of human absurdity Malicious Chinese producing power again Overflowing the world with radioactive rain And the Russians incriminating USA I wish wow. them all welcome to the day Of the funeral of human absurdity The Come Alive Show, brought to you by Milwaukee Pepsi-Cola Where to go and what to do And we would like to invite you to be a Come Alive good guy or gal Come to Scout Circuit 67 at the Milwaukee Arena Tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday You can dance to the music of the 5th Dimension This Friday, May 5, 8 to 11 p.m. At St. Mary Magdalene's Church, 1854 West Wind Lake and don't forget the Slinger Raceway, Slinger Wisconsin opens its season Sunday, May 7th with 10 big events. Time trials start at 6.30, races at 8. This is WKBW at 15.20 on your Buffalo dial. Time narrows. There is death upon Davana. Davana must endure. Speak of the Earth creatures. They are second stage, subhuman, weak and full of fright. Speak of their blood. It may be as ours. I have sent to you 30 cubits for study. There must be more. The conquered enemies dwindle in the pens of pasture and time constricts. It is soon that we shall all perish. Perhaps the blood of this planet shall answer. Your mission upon this globe is to be accomplished in five out of six phases. In the first, you will study all characteristics of the Earth subhumans. Phase one is study. In the second phase, you shall increase the quantity of Earth blood which you are transmitting to Nevada. Phase two is more Earth blood. For phase three, we must have a live specimen, a subhuman to be used in vivisectory research. Phase three is a live specimen. You are phase four, which Earth blood value will be determined by your survival or your death. Phase four is my life or death. If Earth blood preserves your life, Phase five will be the conquest, subjugation, and pasturing of the Earth subhumans upon your order. Phase five is conquest, subjugation, and pasturing if I live. Phase six will be the utter obliteration of this planet by your order, dependent upon the anticipated failure of your experiment. Phase six is destruction of this planet if I am to die. Phase six concludes the instructions. Phase six Conclude. I am returning. Sit down, won't you? Now, Mr. Johnson, why don't you want a blood test? I choose not to reveal a reason. Oh, I see. Well, then I suggest you try another doctor. You have no blood here? Yes, we have blood. But there isn't a doctor on Earth who'll transfuse blood without first learning the patient's type, RH factor, and other peculiarities. The wrong kind would probably kill you. I must have blood. I'm dying. I am type O. I'm sorry, but I can't take your word for any of those facts. Will you give me the transfusion? Not unless you submit to a test. Then without a specimen of my blood for study, it is impossible. Impossible. You will test. Then you will know and you will prescribe. 
You may study it in all the ways of your kind and you may learn, but you may not speak. You will not, you cannot transmit to any other being your knowledge of my tragedy. <laughs> I've got a terrible headache. I'm ready for your test. Well, I'm glad you changed your mind. Uh, take off your coat. Well, this won't hurt. Fantastic. The agglutinin disintegrating at an uninterrupted rate, resulting in the destruction of the cellular structure of the blood. Well, it's impossible. I have brought the specimen. He shall follow me back through the beam. With his transmission, phase three is completed. Phase three is completed. Phase one, near completion. Soon, you must complete phase four. There is destruction within the Council of the Northern Orbit. Destruction? Rule is dissolving. Independent action increases on a 73 degree tangent. The result of phase four shall be known to me in three of the Earth solar days. I shall return to Nevada and tell them so. It must be no more than three days. Gunnor Lila. I assume, Doctor, you have further scrutinized my blood? I certainly have, Mr. Johnson. And there are many questions I'd like to ask you. That desire is predictable. How many answers you receive, however, is not predictable. Have you spoken to anyone of this? No, I... I feel it best to keep it an absolute secret. An excellent feeling, Doctor. Can you tell me anything that I do not know? I can tell you this. Your blood is different from any I've ever studied in my entire career. Have you found a cause? Not yet. But you think you will? I may. I'm already neglecting my other work to devote all my time to this problem. God forbid such a dreadful new plague should strike the Earth. Yes. God forbid. Question number 13. What does UFO mean? I will give you three choices. Is your answer A, under federal observation, B, you found one, or C, unidentified flying object? Please choose A, B, or C now. Since Q is pushed, I will tell you the answer. The correct answer is C. UFO stands for Unidentified Flying Objects. Dynamite. E-G-L. Hey, that's a flying saucer. And it's landing right here. Look. There's someone getting out of it. Say, who is he? He's a man from Mars on Earth to take a look. He can read your mind just like an open book. Yes. He's a man from Mars and he's extremely clever. Brilliant but kind in every endeavor. For instance, any dog can hear me loud and clear. And don't get too near me or I'll disappear. He's a man from Mars and we've got news for you. Out among the stars, they're watching everything you do. 
Now, do you have any questions? Wow, I'll say. What are those things sticking out of your head? Oh, these are my antennae. They're completely retractable, so no one can ever guess my identity, except, of course, you. Oh, don't worry about me. I can keep a secret. I hope so, for your sake. No one dares to compare on Mars or here. And if you're not fair to me, I'll make you disappear. He's a man from Mars, and we've got news for you. Out among the stars, they're watching everything you do. Truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. Taking up a musical instrument? Try the Kisar. This African instrument is made of a human skull and the horns of a gazelle. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you the amusing story of a princess who kept a dark secret. Somewhere in the dark of infinite space, there is a form of life that man has reason to fear. It is as old as the universe. It is real. It is evil. And now, it is here. William Devane, Kathy Lee Crosby, Richard Jacob. Keenan Wynn, The Dark, a chilling tale of alien terror, rated R, restricted. The first equestrian to ride side saddle was Anne of Bohemia, daughter of the German emperor Charles IV. She was born with one leg shorter than the other and was unable to ride a horse in the normal fashion. A special saddle was designed for her so that she could ride with both legs on the same side. Her vanity kept her from revealing the secret of her deformed legs so that the saddle was termed a fashion innovation rather than a horse-mounted wheelchair. Believe it or not. This is WKBW at 1520 on your Buffalo dial. It started out one night when I was alone here, and I'm practically never alone. But that night, September 11th, 1976, the time was 8 p.m. Saturday, on that evening, the phone rang, and I answered man's voice on the other end, and uh, he said, he identified himself, if I remember correctly, as the Blue Juicy UFO Research Organization, that's, that's what he told me he was, the vice president of it, yeah, and I understand, well, Dr. Schwartz, that this has been checked out and there is no such organization. It's purely fictitious. And he wanted to know if he could come here and talk to me about the Stevens case. And uh, he asked me if I was alone. And I said, yes, I am. And I agreed to talk to him. And uh, so the man hung up, said he would be right up here. I walked from the phone in the hallway to this door right here, turned on the light, and the man was already coming up the steps. Now, if he was even as close as across the street telephone or next door telephone, he could have not possibly have gotten here as soon as I did to turn on the light for him. So, I 
She didn't ask who he was. I just opened the door and, and said, come in, you know what I mean? Uh, that's not characteristic of me either. I don't, I don't know what was the matter with me that night to be so lax, so open. So the man came in and uh, he asked if he would sit down. I said, yes. So he said, right there where Betty is sitting now. And I sat where you're sitting. And the man, man's attire struck me as a little odd. He wore a black suit, neatly tailored black suit, black shoes, black socks. Uh, it looked like a very dark blue shirt. It wasn't quite black. He had a black tie. He wore a derby. And you don't see derbies very often these days. This is a black derby. And it was just as round and polished as could be. And I thought to myself without saying so, I said, this guy looks just like an undertaker. <laughs> I had that appearance about him. And when he sat down, he removed his derby. And I thought, this character's as bald as an egg. Indeed he was. He, he didn't even have eyebrows or eyelashes. Smooth skin, looked like plastic, like a soft plastic skin. Like a doll, perhaps, you know, except that it was a dead white color. Just plain white. His nose was very small and short. It came down to about the average distance above the upper lip. But the bridge was low, very low. And just a little pug nose, and his ears were small, set low, and set rather far back. His features didn't didn't have the normal balance. His lips were ruby red, brilliant red, which I thought was odd. I wondered about it, and uh, we talked. He wanted to know about the Stevens case, and I asked him what he wanted to know about it. And Question me a little bit. And everything I said to him, he said, yes. He says, that's the way I understand it. His eyes weren't remarkable. Uh, they weren't round. They weren't slit-like. Unremarkable, except for the lack of the distinguishing eyebrows and the eyelashes. That's the only thing. From where I was sitting, I really couldn't tell the color of his eyes. But... Uh, they did, they certainly appear to have a, an iris and pupil. They weren't just black white, you know. But uh, I wasn't observant enough to see the color, uh, except that they were sort of darkish. They might have been brown or dark blue or green. I don't know. It's, it was a dark color to the eye. And of course, I couldn't see the size of the pupil either for that same reason, because one would blend into the other at that distance, and the lights weren't on very bright anyhow. And I had these other lights on still, very fluorescent lights. And I noticed when he sat down, well, when he was standing in the first place, he had the appearance of a clothing store dummy. His suit looked like it had just been put on and never had been worn, you know, or even walked in for that matter. And not a 
not a wrinkle, absolutely flawless, nice sharp crease in the pants. And the odd thing was that when he sat down, the crease in his pants did not disappear. Uh, the pant legs did not seem to be filled out. They bent at the knee, but there was no drawing or pulling as you would normally occur when you sit down, so the crease stood right up over the knee. And that's, that really struck me, the, the super perfection of this man's attire, even after he sat down, you know, it was still absolutely perfect. Just to let raise a crease. As I talked along, he really confirmed that everything was as he understood it. I wondered really why he was even asking me these things, because there was no contradiction, no questioning, nothing. It was just everything as he understood it. The only talking he did to amount to anything was to say as much as, well, what happened next? That, that was about it. He didn't lead me on or ask me a lot of questions or anything like that. He just wanted to hear the story. And he kept the story going by asking things like that. And then what? Or what happened next? You know? Or what did he say after that? You know, little things like this, just to keep the thing flowing, you know? But not in a sense directed questioning, but more or less to keep the conversation going. So he, other than that, he, except to say that he understood it. He yeah. spoke in an expressionless, monotone, scanning speech. This was the only thing. And this was the way I recognized his voice as being the one on the telephone. It was characteristic. He spoke flawless English. Absolutely textbook English. No accent. He constructed no phrases and no sentences, just a sequence of words evenly spaced. You see? Scanning speech, they call this. And his voice was completely neutral and passive. No, no inflection, no intonation, nothing, you know? Just like you'd get it from a, a machine that could talk. I don't really think they have sex as we know it. Oh, well, no wonder they keep coming down to Earth. Want to know what Tiny Tim is doing in the plastic world of Las Vegas? Read I Magazine. Want to know what Katie Bergen thinks about sex, leading men, drugs, politics, and parents? Read I Magazine. Want to know why the Bee Gees don't turn everybody on or blow everybody's mind? Read I Magazine. Want to know what a young man can learn from an older woman? Read I Magazine. Want to know if you're a creative genius? Read I Magazine. I Magazine. Everything you want to know and talk about is in December's issue of I Magazine. That's E-Y-E. -E, I Magazine. On sale now. From FM 91. The entertainment continues with how the computer... W-E-G-L Auburn. Well, he was asking me to continue... Uh, I noticed that he wore gloves, and looked like gray suede gloves, and he idly brushed his lips with the back of the glove, 
And when he put his hand down, the back of his glove was bright red, and the red on his mouth was smeared. And I said to myself, this guy's some kind of a queer. He's wearing lipstick. <laughs> then I could see that his mouth was a perfectly straight slit. Apparently did not have what we call lips. So the lipstick was put on as a decoy. But it was done most, most poorly. <laughs> the lips did not turn up, turn down. They did not smile. They did not form an oval. They just simply flat, like a dummy. Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> exactly, just like that. I didn't see any teeth, by the way. And his head seemed to blend into his collar. He had a receding chin. He did not move his head at any time. He didn't turn his head. He did not nod. He was perfectly immobile. Because he didn't move his head, as I said, in any way at all, except when his entire body moved. This guy's a pretty good coin magician. Uh, he told me that I had two coins in my left pocket. He didn't ask me. He just said, as a matter of fact, you have two coins in your left pocket. This, I happen to know to be a fact, because I just paid the paper boy and I had a dime and a penny in my, my pocket. So the man was right, but I'll be checking. I knew this. Anything else was in my wallet, it was in bills. So I admitted that I did have two coins. And he told me to take one of the coins out of my pocket and hold it in my hand. I put my hand in my pocket and I took the larger of the two coins, which was the penny. And it was a bright blue copper penny. So I held it up like that in my fingers. He says, no, flat in the palm of your hand. And so I held my hand out like that and put the penny in the palm of my hand. My hand extended. And I looked at him. I looked at the coin. He says, don't look at me. Watch the coin. So I did. And it started to develop a, a silvery color instead of a coppery color. And then the silver became bluish. Then I had trouble focusing on it. I could focus on my hand perfectly well. That was my reference point to this. <clears throat> but the coin was getting quite fuzzy, quite out of focus, quite blurred. And then the coin just simply gone. Not abruptly. It just slowly dematerialized. It just wasn't there anymore. I didn't feel anything. I didn't smell anything. I didn't hear anything. It was completely without event of any kind. The coin just simply changed. That's all. Changed in color first of all. It appeared to be silver and then became bluish and then got all out of focus. It didn't glow. It was not a glowing thing. It was just a sort of a fuzzy ball in the end. It was no longer a flat, fuzzy disc. It was just round all over. I was just too fascinated with what was going on to think of looking at him. And 
I think under ordinary circumstances I would have scrutinized him while this was happening, you know, by glancing or whatnot, but I was spellbound at this phenomenon. And I knew this was happening in my hands because I could feel the weight of the penny going away. So I, I didn't even look at the man. I don't know what he was doing. I, if he was doing anything, I think I might have heard it. Except for what I saw happen. You know, I don't think he did any hocus pocus or moved his hands and he didn't say any magic words or anything like that. It just occurred in complete silence. And he asked me that if I had, if I knew Bonnie Hill and Betty Hill, I said, well, I said, I've heard of them. I know of them. Uh, I don't know anything about them, though, really. I said, except I think that Bonnie Hill is dead. And he says, that's right. And he says, uh, do you know what he died from? I said, well, I'm not sure, but I understand he died suddenly, so I think he might have died of a heart attack. I later found out that this was not quite accurate. And he says, that is not exactly the case. The reason he died was because he knew too much. How he died, I said heart attack. He said, no, because he did not have a heart, just as you no longer had a coin. This is pretty convincing evidence to me that uh, these things can be done. I saw it my own, my own eyes. It's not a second-hand thing that I might have read someplace. He said he died because he had no heart. Uh, he, he then told me, or rather I should say he stated, that I had tape recordings on the Stevens case on the hypnosis and all the details and so forth and uh, I was a little bit frightened after this coin thing happened I was getting a little un uneasy then he said I had tape recordings you know he didn't ask me he didn't tell me he just just said it you know what I mean so it wasn't an order or anything else and then he told me uh, that but I admitted it was true, and also correspondence related to the case, I admitted this was true. He ordered me to destroy the tapes, any other correspondence, and indeed anything I had in writing or otherwise that had anything to do with UFOs. Even not, it's not connected with this case at all. Anything, get rid of it. Not the least bit indignant, not the least bit angry, he just said, what that's all and uh, he said that uh, he would know when I had done so and also <clears throat> he did leave a threat if I didn't do so I would suffer the same fate as Donnie Hill he did not say he would come back or anything he just but he did say that he would know when I had done that got rid of the tapes. He didn't say as he had ordered. It was put in an inhuman machine way, if you see what I mean. You know, if I get this across. Then, as he spoke his last words, I noticed this 
his speech was slowing down, slowing down markedly, but not slowing down as a phonograph would with a change in pitch. His words became slower and farther spaced, but re retained the same tonality. You see, he slowly got to his feet, unsteadily, and he said very slowly, "My, my." Energy is running low. Must go now. Good bye. Just like that. No intonation. Uh, no phrasing. No implied punctuation or anything. Just, just like that. He walked a few steps to the door. I never got his name. Boy, I don't know. I must have been. Absent of my senses last night, I opened the door for him, and he clung tightly to the railing. And、uh, as he went down the steps, one foot at a time, one foot down, the other foot followed to the same step. He didn't go from step to step. He took one step at a time with both feet on the step. He was very unsteady, and I was afraid that he might fall. And I watched him. He very slowly walked to the corner of the building here, not the way he had come in, but towards that way. I watched him walk, and he went to the corner of the building, and he held on to the corner of the building for a moment, and then he disappeared around the corner. Well, <clears throat> I was really. Shaken badly, left all the lights on. I'm not a little boy who was afraid of the dark, but I want to know who was around me. <laughs> so I have the outside lights on. I have the kitchen light on. <coughs> the interview only took a matter of minutes. I can't tell how many because I didn't seem to have much of a sense of time. But maybe twenty. There was no odor of man or anything. So I did something irrational. I took my gun out. I have a .38 special revolver for self-defense. I've never had to use it, and I sat at the kitchen table, terrified, with the gun, and. Then I got up, took the gun with me, and I had the tapes in the organ bench, in the, in the music compartment of the organ bench, and I also had a UFO magazine. I had the detailed the Stevens case, and I have numerous bits of correspondence on it from Shirley Birchwaltz, you know, <clears throat> and、uh, I just I ruined the whole thing. I demagnetized the tapes. Then I destroyed them physically. I really wanted to get rid of them, absolutely. And I burnt all the literature in the fire. All correspondence. I got rid of every damn thing I could. And、uh, I called Shirley Pickett and asked her to contact the National Enquirer, who had a story on this, and to tell them not to. 
publish anything on Stephen's case, and I would not endorse it. I wanted this stuff right then and there. And I really hated this poor little case. They weren't hurting anybody. I was terrified, but I slept well that night. A week later, I had recurrent nightmares that would try to see this creature's face getting bigger and closer. Over and over again, they stopped about a week, and they have not recurred. But since then, I had an awful lot of trouble with the telephone, and I just about drove the telephone company crazy with my complaints. I had trouble with the phone going dead, not being able to call out. I don't have enough knowledge to base a conclusion on. The only thing I know is from what he said, and that is about the coin. He referred to the coin being no longer on this plane. Not planet, not place, plane. He says the coin is no longer in this plane. Scientists have theorized for years on alternate dimensions. As to what I think this man was, or where I think he may have come from, for his statement about a different plane for the coin. I must go along with what many others think, that there are other dimensions, and the man, I think, undoubtedly thinks another dimension. I don't think he's an invader or anything like that. And I think they're just nosing around. I don't think they intend to hurt anybody, and certainly, as far as the known record goes, they have not hurt anybody so far, except question in my mind, the one thing, Bonnie Hill, that has bothered me no end. And I have never seen him like that, never. He was all white and all shaken up, and then he started to tell us the story. And he didn't want to have anything to do with UFOs. He destroyed everything he had on it, because he was told to, or else he would join Bonnie, that's what he told him. You know, he didn't know what would happen to him. We'll always remember coming home and seeing the gun on the table. He was that scared. can even make me look good. To cover my feet, they got socks up to size 17. For my legs, slacks. 
all styles, patterns, and colors. For my chest, Keel Fashion has shirts, long sleeve, short sleeve colors, patterns, check stripes, button down collars, large pointed collars, ring around the colors. Keel Fashion also has a great assortment of sweaters and turtlenecks. Finally, for my head, the folks at Keel Fashion have just the thing. They gave me a paper bag. You can get one too, and it's free with the purchase of anything from Keel Fashion. Besides the free paper bag, you'll get a 10% discount on your new clothes if you bring in the stub from any hockey, football, or basketball game. Seymour's a good sport. Stop by tomorrow. Keel Fashion's University and Sheridan Plaza's. W-E-T-L Auburn. This is a very powerful political, religious undercurrent. Well, we, we all know persons died under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, he supposedly blew himself up. Yeah, but he he basically, he was at the time one of the top rocketeers around. He had been uh, deeply involved with missile technology for the United States government, the military. Developed the whole uh, NATO technology. Huh? Developed the whole JATO technology, jet-assisted takeoff, which, of course, the Navy uses at the Antarctic to blow up those C-130s off the ice. So it was a hugely important part of the Army development program at that time. Parsons basically got himself run out of it. He began making fireworks and experimenting with uh, explosives and that type of thing. But he was also alleged to have been dealing in black magic pr uh, practices. Now, a lot of people are not aware of that. But this is a guy that, by God, he, he began JPL. Um, and I'm sure that the folks at JPL don't like to hear this. But be that as it may, there were allegations that other strange interdimensional creatures were manifesting. Jack Parsons was friends with L. Ron Hubbard, who began Scientology. Well, it was part of Aleister Crowley's um, very bizarre, you know, what should I say, witchcraft? Um, yeah, well, black magic, whatever yeah, you yeah. want to lay on it. But uh, there is a lot of, of chatters to suggest that Crowley, along with, uh, with Parsons and others that were involved in this, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, brought a being into the fold. A creature that was called Lamb. And I'm sure you probably have seen sketches of this creature, which resemble to a, to a high degree uh, what your basic uh, gray alien is purported to look like. Now, uh, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, Don, Don, hang on. It goes even further than that. The first rover mission to Mars, the little sojourner on Pathfinder, one of the rocks they went and investigated, and the team made a big deal of it. They named Lamb. Oh, 
And there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray, and became corrupt in all their ways. Samjasa taught enchantments and root cuttings, Amaras the resolving of enchantments, Barakwehal taught astrology, Kokabal the constellations, Ezekiel the knowledge of the clouds, Arakwil the signs of the earth, Shamsiel the signs of the sun, and Soyel the course of the moon. And as men perished, they cried, and their cry went up to heaven. Chapter 9 And then Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel looked down from heaven and saw much blood being shed upon the earth, and all the lawlessness being brought upon the earth. And they said one to another, The earth made without inhabitant cries the voice of their crying up to the gates of heaven. And now to you, the holy ones of heaven, the souls of men make their suit, saying, Bring our cause before the Most High. And they said to the Lord of the ages, Lord of lords, God of gods, King of kings, and God of the ages, the throne of thy glory standeth unto all the generations of the ages. And thy name, holy and glorious, and blessed unto all the ages. Thou hast made all things, and power over all things hast thou. And all things are naked and open in thy sight, and thou seest all things, and nothing can hide itself from thee. Thou seest what Azazel hath done, who hath taught all unrighteousness on earth, and revealed the eternal secrets which were preserved in heaven, which men were striving to learn. And Samjaza, to whom thou hast given authority to bear rule over his associates. And they have gone to the daughters of men upon the earth, and have slept with the women, and have defiled themselves, and revealed to them all kinds of sins. And the women have borne giants, and the whole earth has thereby been filled with blood and unrighteousness. And now, behold, the souls of those who have died are crying and making their suit to the gates of heaven, and their lamentations have ascended, and cannot cease because of the lawless deeds which are wrought on the earth. And thou knowest all things before they come to pass, and thou seest these things, and thou dost suffer them. And thou dost not say to us what we are to do to them in regard to these.
planet may be doomed, our Earth devastated, the monsters are in revolt, and civilization is in chaos. Godzilla is laying waste to New York, Rodan is attacking Moscow, Manda is smashing London, and Peking trembles under the wrath of Mothra. Our battle cry must be, destroy all monsters. Monster, monster. Who can say which country or city will be next? We must unite and destroy all monsters. Is there a way to defend against Godzilla, Rodan, Manda, and Mothra? The answer is no. Let our battle cry be, destroy all monsters. Be prepared. See for yourself in color from American International. Destroy all monsters. Monster, 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 monster. This picture is rated G for general audiences. Destroy all monsters. Monster, 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 monster. So America, I feel gentler now. Even though you won't read my poem, I still like you. I won't, I won't even tell you about God. Some trigger-happy Russian scientist will soon enough, but it doesn't bother me because I met a couple of flyboys in blue from Loring Air Force Base in Maine, and we discussed this whole bit. One of them looked at me and smiled, oh sweet mama in heaven, he smiled and he said, Baby, when that mushroom bomb makes it on your head, we won't be down here, we'll be up there. Sweet thought. But then I wondered when the Russian flyboys come this way, my friends in blue might go that way. So, America, tonight, all that's left is the air force will add a female wing. And the Air Academy's gonna duck the class called copulation in the cockpit for the survival of the race. Contacting 
the Dimension Zero Hour, P.O. Box, California, C9, thank you for listening to the Dimension Zero Hour, pleasant nightmares. Hey, Ann.